the opportunity to make uh, a foreign exchange revenue on the transaction. I think most, most financial institutions in the United States say, hey, I'm going to charge you $30 for this $1 million wire that you're sending out, mm-hmm. and, and that's all the money I'm going to make. And that's insane when then the intermediaries are making like $3,000 in the foreign exchange for that same transaction. Hi, and welcome to another episode of FI Today, the podcast where we talk about all things banks, credit unions, payments, and more. My name is Kevin Miyamoto, co-founder, COO of Identify, also known as Moto. And in this episode, we have the newly appointed Dr. Jorge Jimenez on the call. Uh, Jorge, love the background. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kevin. It almost looks fake. It looks like like an awesome fake Zoom background. That's what I typically do. I I do fake backgrounds, but, you know, for whatever reason, with this platform, I couldn't put a background. So, hey, I had to do the real thing. And before we jump in, we have a, a really, really good podcast today talking about international payments, which is... I, I'm always wondering myself why, why it's so hard. I know, Jorge, you have a lot of thoughts on that. Uh, but before we jump in to um, to the background why, or to, to uh, global payments, uh, the topic, why don't we give the listeners a little bit of background on, you know, what you're working on today and, um, and yeah, why you're, you know, one of the experts in international payments. Oh, boy. All right. So I am uh... – Currently, I, I have I wear two hats. I am the the founder and president of Juniper Payment, uh, which is part of the PSU uh, family of companies, and uh, which which we as which we work specifically on payment systems uh, like FedNow, RTP, FedWire, ACH, that kind of thing. And I'm also founder and and uh, I'm CEO of Global FinTech Forum, which is a company that specializes in international payments and making it simpler for financial institutions to basically be able to send transactions in a competitive manner. So I've been in payments for about 20 years. I, I started with the Italian Central Bank. Uh, almost right out of college, I was I was thrown into developing the, the uh, single European payment area uh, new payment system when the euro came out and, uh, and kind of come up for that that system that would connect all the all the countries in Europe. And ever since then, I've been involved at, uh, with central banks and, and market infrastructures. I, I work, again, with the European Central Bank, well, with the World Bank. Uh, with the I worked with the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta for six years on the international side. I worked for the U.S. Treasury as uh, doing payment systems and financial inclusion. And then one day I decided, you know, all this government work or, or infrastructure work is great. But it's really not necessarily solving the problem of small uh, community banks and credit unions around the country, and as they don't necessarily have the tools that they have necessary to do this international transactions. So, did you just say, Kevin, why is this too complicated? What are, yeah. What, what do you say? So, well, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's really complicated. Pay, payments in general are complicated, but international, it's just, it's so complicated. Well. There is a very simple reason for that, and, and simple is the fact that there is no international payment system. How's that? So it's it's like a, a collection of different banks all over the world exchanging uh, accounts with each other, and then they are communicating. They have been communicating through a secure network called SWIFT uh, over for the over 50 years, uh, but that is like to say for Citi, Chase. Bank of America, the banks that really have 
a lot of international presence and the ability to have correspondent accounts in other countries. But if you are a community bank or a regional bank or a, a credit union, you don't have that. So you need to figure out a way to, to do those transactions. And you would think, wait, in the United States, we have the Federal Reserve, we have the clearinghouse. Uh, isn't there like an equivalent for international transactions? So that you can, there is like a government based or some sort of infrastructure, and there is not. And so that that's part of the problem. So this transactions, when you're doing international transactions with the SWIFT network, it's um, it's basically very expensive, a lot of compliance. The big big financial institutions don't want to do business with smaller financial institutions because they need to know know your customer's customer type of situation, and there's a lot of cost associated with that. And uh, so th there's a problem, and there's a problem that I would call this, um, I like to call it uh, an exponential market failure because it's getting worse with time and uh, in terms of international payments. So there is ways to address and resolve these things. And I actually wrote a paper that surprising me, uh, but, but, but that might be too TMI as, as for, for this, for this uh, group, but there is a opportunities for small and, and, and medium-sized financial institutions to capitalize and compete on the international market, provide remittances, provide international payments in an easy way. And, uh, but yeah, there's so much we can do better as, uh, and there's so much we can learn from uh, the other countries as well. Well, yeah, and I can just, I can hear all the passion in your, in your voice. I mean, <laughs> there, there's definitely a lot of opportunity for improvement. And whenever I think about, you know, credit unions and community banks, um, you, you know, you, you'd mentioned right now folks are using the SWIFT network um, and you said it's 50 years old. I, I don't know. Has it really evolved that much in the last 50 years? Well, so I, I want to be careful with what I say because I have a lot of really good friends in SWIFT. So I don't want to get the impression that I don't, that they're not involving and going forward. But in a, in a, in a very, in, in a very weird way, what SWIFT is, is a secure way to exchange information. So mm -hmm. right now, but back in 50 years ago, you didn't have emails. 50 years ago, you didn't have API. Uh, in fact, back in the day, you would ch exchange information with, with telex, which were these little tapes with holes in them and uh, to, to send information. So now with APIs, with, with secure email, you can actually have a relationship with a, with, with a um, counterpart, say in Spain or in other countries, and then just exchange information with the API. You don't only need to use this with network. You have other alternatives as well to do that. Yep. And, the, and then there is ways to manage the, the settlements for those transactions without necessarily having correspondent banking accounts at all these different countries. But again, I, I digress on that. But SWIFT is obviously been the gold standard under that point of view for correspondent banking and international transaction. In fact, many countries in Latin America, Africa, and Europe use the SWIFT uh, network and format as their domestic payment system. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, if you are trying to send a transaction to Europe, they will ask you, hey, what's the BIC, which the BIC is the routing number in Europe, and, mm -hmm. and what's the IBAN, which is what's the account number, and those are SWIFT formatted uh, uh, information. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you were to use the SWIFT network to send a transaction to a different country that doesn't have that uh, infrastructure, you still would uh, would use the big. But anyway, we're getting too deep into this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you mentioned it, you know, you, you mentioned in Europe, that's how they, you know, kind of exchange information using the BIC and the IBAN. Um, yeah. You know, I know that you're, um, you know, 
you, you, you've traveled all over the world. You advise companies from all over the world. You know what's going on uh, at an international scale. So what what is happening in Europe and in Latin America and other in other countries? Um, uh, how I guess how are they kind of approaching cross border international payments and, and domestic payments too? It sounds like they're they're looking at everything a little bit different than the U.S. Well, it, it, internationally we are all in the, on the same boat. Really, uh, the interesting thing that I, I think I, I would tell financial institutions in the United States um, to to look for is that. Uh, so the opportunity to make uh, a foreign exchange revenue on the transaction, I think most, most financial institutions in the United States say, hey, I'm going to charge you $30 for this $1 million wire that you're sending out, and, and that's all the money I'm going to make. And that's insane when then the intermediaries are making like $3,000 in the foreign exchange yep. for that same transaction. But yep. in terms of the domestic, what's happening in other countries, uh, I'll tell you this, because unlike the United States, in other countries, you have the government or the central bank kind of establishing the rules of what should be happening for uh, consumer protection and otherwise. They're saying, hey, you know, you obviously, Kevin, you're a part of the Faster Payments Council and, and you know like about FedNow and RTP and, and all that. But that has been a voluntary endeavor here in the United States. In Europe or in other countries, they say, hey, uh, we're going to start using the equivalent of FedNow. Uh, on this date, and all banks need to be ready in the country for it, and mm. all the core providers need to be able to provide APIs to integrate to it. And mm-hmm. so that's a big difference. So this happened in other countries 15 years ago. So we're about 15 years behind everybody else. Mm. Uh, at the same time, we, um, we've learned from what they've done. So what we're seeing right now is if you've seen Vetmo or Cash App or any of these guys, you see that they have a QR code to do uh, payments, right? Or you have uh, your Apple Pay on your phone to do payments. So you're not necessarily using your cards as much as you were before. So what's gonna happen is, while Cash App and Venmo are closed loop systems, the, with, the, with the advent of FedNow and with RTP, you're gonna be able to have financial institutions exchange money among themselves for their customers and their members uh, with a QR code. So what you see, in Bolivia, what you see in Colombia, what you see in Spain is that you go to a bar, you want to pay for a Starbucks or, or whatever, and you just, they have a QR code, you scan that with your phone, and then equivalent to a FedNow or RTP transaction occurs on the back end. So the, the, the direction that we can learn from other countries is there's probably going to be maybe less cards in the future, but it's hard to say because in the United States, uh, we we start a new payment system and we never get rid of the old one, like uh, Rich Oliver used to say. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, that that's interesting thing, uh, and that's probably why. And this is a probably this is a speculation why Visa and Mastercard are buying a lot of electronic payments companies. Uh, so maybe to secure their future, if by any chance there is less uh, credit card transactions com- coming on in the future. So I think we all need to pay attention to this. I think financial institutions need to pay attention to the evolution of payments in more electronic manner uh, and more through the instant payments route and also pay attention of how to capitalize on international payments to get new fee income uh, for, for, for themselves and or to have a more efficient way to do transactions for their members and customers so they don't have to go to Western Union or to go to a bigger financial institution. Well, and that's what I, I wanted to unpack that a, l- a little bit more because you know, you hit it on the head, especially the smaller credit unions, community banks, they're, they're making just 
pennies on the dollar compared to what the um, the interme- inter- intermediary banks are making when sending out those large international wires, right? You'd mentioned thirty dollars versus three thousand dollars. Obviously, it's, it's, it's a massive difference. So, yeah, w- what is you know what has been the challenge? Like, why haven't community banks and credit unions been able to take advantage of that traditionally? And going forward, what are what are things that they they can do where they could start to get a piece of that pie? Well, um, the, the 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 challenge in everything is inertia. The cha- the challenge is looking at things like we've always done it this way, and and this is my department. I don't need to be looking at this department. And uh, so that's probably the main challenge. It's it's, it's a mindset issue. And, and kind of like uh, trying to get out of their existing guardrails to move up and do new things. Uh, so that's the, the main thing. But it's interesting, um, for example, some of the uh, of the customers that we had both at Juniper and GFF is we were able, we, we have been able to uh, turn what is like a, a cost center, like ACH, like a ACH processing, into a revenue center. Because all of a sudden, is not just a supporting function for other businesses. It's a, it's a function that is making revenue on its own accord. So that's, that, that's a big, interesting thing. So if you ask anybody in the operations, like, hey, how would you like to be indispensable for the free income revenue of your company or your bank or your credit union? They say, of course. Uh, yeah. but, but it's hard. It's hard because, you know, you need to have the, the CEO and the board bought in into, into this. And so I think the biggest challenge is inertia. Uh, we are... Like uh, when we, we talk as a GFF and Juniper Payments to our customers, we always tell them what options they have available and, uh, and they pick and choose what they like to do. So and if, as you say, what can they do? We're happy to have a conversation with them uh, in, in that direction. But again, not just with us. Uh, we just tend to have things to, that, to have done things in a certain particular way, which we believe is a little bit more innovative. For example, just a silly question or, or a silly issue. Rather. Um, Everybody calls international transactions international wires, right? Yes? Yes. International wires do not exist. It's kind of like you send a domestic wire to a correspondent that then turns that into a SWIFT transaction overseas. So that what we do is a little different. We have a relationship directly with a, with a payout provider in the destination country, and these providers have an account in the United States, and we send them an ACH transaction. For settlement, which is obviously less expensive than sending a wire, so you're already eroding some of the cost on the front end, and it's the same. It's final and irrevocable. It goes the same way. It goes at the same speed, if not faster, than international wires. So sometimes the mindset is important, and we, I know the little things. We we've been calling it international wires, and we've been wrong for years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well, I think I think when 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 I hear you talk about it, I, I I agree with you totally. You're spot on. the The other thing is, you know, if you think about ACH from kind of a cost center to like a revenue driving part of the business, turning payments into revenue driving, it's yep. also way way less risky, right? As opposed to debt, where a lot of credit unions and community banks are focusing on are large loans. Um, you know, maybe it's commercial. Real, it could be could be a variety of different types of debt. Um, but especially in today's market, like that could be pretty risky, right? Right. Um, I, I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna put a caveat for what I'm about to say next because I agree with you that is uh, doing free income on payments is low hanging fruit. 
Uh, however, there you 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 cannot underestimate the importance of fraud and and liability on transactions when you're doing to payment. In fact, that's probably mm -hmm. one of the biggest things that you're going to have to look at uh, as you move transactions, say from credit cards to electronic payments like FedNow or or RTP or whatever it might be. Um, the the liability falls on the originator of the transaction, the consumer of the business. What right now, all those consumers with the credit card transactions, the liability, they don't have, they have zero liability. Mm -hmm. So that's a big difference that you need to kind of address. So in terms of what I will say is just, is it's uh, the fee income you're gonna get from payments is more, it's more secure than the one you're gonna get from loans, but is at the same time, it's not, when you say we say safer, we just need to be careful, making sure that we have put in place the proper fraud, uh, fraud channels uh, in in that process. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a great caveat. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, <laughs> um, and, and you know the the other thing. So so as I hear you talk about all of this, you you also mentioned um, you know in other countries that QR code example where at the Starbucks, they're using a QR code and using the equivalent of like an RTP or FedNow transaction to settle that and, you know, have the customer get their coffee. Um, the US, I know it's a lot of credit card, like me personally, and I might be weird or different, but like I try to pay everything by credit card just because of all the points. Um, mm -hmm. So what do you, I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that, Jorge? Like me as a consumer right now, if I even if I had instant payments and I'm like I could pay you at Starbucks by you know a FedNow transaction, I still would rather use card because I use those points to redeem airfare and all that. So what, what are your thoughts no, on that? That's a great point. I I think that most of the of the use cases right this second for uh, for instant payments are going to be more associated with uh, bill payment, payroll, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. And I, but I think that the other part is coming where the merchant will say, well, rather than paying 3% to my credit card processor, I'd rather give my customer like one and a half percent store credit or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they need to come up, they need to come up with those models. So right, they need to make it enticing for you to want to do that, right? Uh, because there is the points issue and then there's the liability issue. But you know, once, once you figure those two things into your business model, then you have a very interesting uh, opportunity there uh, to to kind of own the customer, and so I I to your point I think that might be step three in, into the instant payment route, and also when we have more ubiquity uh, in in the system. But yeah, that's that that's a great point. Yeah, well, and and so I guess what in, what are your thoughts in terms of like where is the U.S. going with with all of this? I mean, um, instant payments. I know FedNow is is very new, right? Um, RTP has been around for a while, still gaining a lot of momentum, lots of new capabilities with international payments, not wires, international payments, right? And just technology evolving. Um, what do you, how do you see this all playing out? Well, I, I think this is a phenomenal opportunity for innovation um, at, the, at the U.S. level. Let me put it in this terms. One of the biggest issues that financial institutions have been dealing with is with the Pre-funding of transactions. So, I want to make sure that any new product or service that they provide, they need to make sure that they get money from the member or customer account to put it in what is called the general ledger, which is the holding account of the financial institution, and then they can get it out and 
it will be there eventually, blah, blah, blah. So imagine a, imagine a world. Uh, let, let me rephrase that. In, you look at Bank of America, and it has all these different branches all over the world, and they work together in concert and everything else. And, and they give you an unified experience to a certain degree. So think about uh, all credit unions, all, all community banks that could work in the same way Bank of America works with itself because they're able to send transactions between them at the same speed that they that they that a financial institution with its own branches would be able to do. So this is opening up uh, a world of open banking, a world where you create like a financial app store, if you like, so that uh, fintechs can provide services to financial institutions and they can work seamlessly with on the settlement with the financial institution. So I think it's going to possibly, possibly going to bring um, a new, uh, I, I was going to call it banking 2.0, where where you are going to have a, a situation where we no longer work in batch, but we work in a real time. And it doesn't matter anymore which financial institution we're working with because you are sending these transactions in real time between the, the fintech, the financial institution, and and you have a much more holistic approach to banking. And yeah. so that's, that's what I see, uh, personally speaking. And uh, because right now we, if if I am even if I'm business owner, right now I have five accounts. I have a main account, and then I have these other accounts. Then I have maybe some sort of, of of uh, system to kind of treasury management to sue them all together. But if I want to send money between between them, I cannot do that in real time. It's it's really hard to do it in real time. So now imagine you have now you can do that. Let's say now I'm using this service to do this specific function. We can fund those transactions in real time and automate all that through solutions like uh, instant payments. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think we don't even know what's coming under that point of view beyond utilization of real-time payroll and KOR cores and everything else. But I am really interested to see how this is going to affect the the, 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 the the banking app fintech world in the United States when, when, when the lines between the different participants are now blur because everything is done in real time. Yeah. And I, this is going to be a long kind of probably random answer, if you will, but I, to I totally agree with you. And from my perspective with, especially with instant payments, been now just coming out, it almost resets and levels the playing field where if you're a smaller FI and you, you know, uh, are able to send and receive RTP and FedNow transactions and you, have similar like you already have ACH, you already have Wire, you can already you know set up money market accounts. You can do almost everything that a large bank can do, right? And so for me, then it all comes down to what is the customer experience that you're that you're giving, and what does the engagement look like to really differentiate yourself versus some of the other larger traditional players. So I agree with you. I think we're going to see a big shift there, and and how really the focus will be on driving customer engagement because I think capabilities wise with, with fintechs partnering more and more with smaller FIs, they're, they're going to have a lot of the same capabilities that they maybe didn't have before. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, and so this is, this is very exciting. And, and that's why I think smaller financial institutions, most financial institutions should, should try to make this a priority and in that in that direction. And then don't forget, uh, in terms of the United States, the U.S. Treasury is a participant into FedNow, which mm. means that if you want to receive like a FEMA payment, if you want to do an IRS real-time payment, if you want to do any of that stuff, or 
I, I was joking around, like the IRS can now refund you in real time. Good luck. <laughs> but I'm just saying that that's possible now because of, of the, the treasury in that direction. So the bigger the network becomes of participants to the FedNow and RTP uh, world as well. There are other ESAP payments networks, including ourselves. We have one for for our own we for our customers. Uh, the more you can expand on that and make that available, I think you are you're pushing in the direction of creating the ecosystem for um, for a holistic banking approach. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Jorge, as we wrap up here, um, you know, I, I keep going back to your point about the smaller FIs. There's an opportunity now where they can start to earn significant revenue on international payments. I think that is just huge and something that just was not even possible, you know, a decade ago or so. So yeah, and and, and, yeah. and I'll say something else on that. There is a number of financial institutions abroad that are looking to open accounts in the United States with financial institutions in the United States. And the, it might not be worth it for some of the bigger banks because there's not enough money, but for a regional financial institution, a smaller financial institution, it may make a big difference in terms of the amount of deposits they're able to bring in. So the, 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 the world is their oyster, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, thank you so much, Jorge. Um, any, any last words for the listeners today? Oh boy. So I'm I'm just saying uh, get, <laughs> what to say. Get to work, but try to enjoy life a little. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if someone wants to get a hold of you, Jorge, or has any questions for you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Well, they can uh, contact me at uh, Jorge at JuniperPayments.com or Jorge at GlobalFintechForum.com. Okay, awesome. And on LinkedIn, I know you're on LinkedIn too. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm definitely LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. Okay, great. Well, hey, Jorge, thank Dr. Jorge Jimenez. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really, really appreciate all your wisdom and, and thoughts around uh, global payments and just where the U.S. is headed in general. And for those of you listening at home, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you, Kevin.